Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad you're joining us for a brand new week. Well, before we get too far into the broadcast, I heard a wonderful dad joke just a few days ago. You know, I still remember my childhood quite fondly when dad used to roll us down the hill inside car tires. Those were the good years. Ah, that was bad. Okay, Uh, that was really bad. But I want to let you know today that we have so much to look forward to because it's the Advent season. And every Monday and Tuesday between now and Christmas, I'm going to be talking about a specific point with the Advent. So last week we talked about hope. This week we want to talk about peace. You know, I love Christmas and there's so much to look forward to in the Christmas season. You know, you think about those who don't believe in God. I mean, Christmas must be really a downer for them because it's all about the coming of Christ. But if you don't believe in Christ, I don't believe in God, what do you do during Christmas? I guess you take one of the Christmas carols that talk about being good for goodness sake, and that's how you try to live your life. But as you get older, if you're one who doesn't believe in God, The future gives you nothing to look forward to. I mean, what's going to happen to you when you get old and you find yourself maybe in a wheelchair and you discover that you've got nothing to look forward to? I mean, the future is nothing for you. Well, I want you to know, I am filled with hope. I am filled with hope because I know Jesus Christ and he knows me. And not only do I have a lot of hope, but I also am able to walk in peace. And so we're going to talk about peace today and tomorrow. On June 16, 1858, Abraham Lincoln was chosen by the Republican State Convention of Illinois, and he was going to be their candidate for the U.S. Senate. Well, in response to this wonderful opportunity, he delivered what has become known in history as the House Divided Speech. Although judged radical at that time, and it was widely blamed for his subsequent loss to Stephen A. Douglas, it also defined the cause which eventually made him president. His law partner, William H. Herndon, said of the speech, Lincoln, as a statesman and a politician and a political philosopher, announced an eternal truth, not only as broad as America, but covering the world. In his address, Lincoln boldly proclaimed, The government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. And then he quoted what Jesus warned about in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus said, A house divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Well, in his prophetic address, he says, If we could first know where we are, And whether we are tending or where we're going, we could then better judge what to do and then how to do it. Well, I want you to know, if you are looking for peace, you're not going to find it in the government. You're not going to find it in this world. You've got to find it outside of this world. And it's actually given to us as a promise. That is a verse that I would encourage you to memorize. It's a verse that you probably have heard. It's Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah wrote this six to 700 years before Christ was born. And he says, for unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, 
the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So do you get what this verse is promising? This is fulfilled in the coming of Christ the first time that a child was going to be born, but a son was going to be given. And one of the characteristics of this son is that he was going to be the prince of peace. You know, as I look throughout the Bible, I see that word peace is found 249 times. That's in the New International Version. You know, the most popular use of this word is in reference to our peace with God, not necessarily worldwide peace. As a matter of fact, Jesus reminded his disciples and reminds us that the things that he was sharing with them, he shared with them so that in him they may have peace. He says, you know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You may as well go ahead and get used to it. Take heart. But he says, I have overcome the world. Now, notice Jesus says, you're not going to find peace in this world. You're going to find peace in him. And I love this verse. And my kids used to quote this verse often because they used to love to watch the Bible man. If you're old like me, maybe you remember Bible man, right? And then Bible man used to always quote what Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't worry, I have overcome the world. In other words, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Well, on that first Christmas morning, I want us to go back to that first Christmas morning 2,000 years ago, and I want to pick up what Luke had to say about that wonderful coming of Christ. Luke chapter 2, we'll pick it up at verse number 9, going down to verse number 15. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For born this day in the city of David is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Now, the King James Version of that last verse leaves out that little phrase, of whom his favor rests. But most translations include that. And I think it's a vital part of the Christmas story. Because as we look at that peace, peace on earth, that is only given to those on whom God's favor rests. In other words, those who don't know Christ don't experience that peace that passes all understanding. Now, it's impossible to read the Christmas story without understanding a little bit about the angels, because it begins with the angels, and the story of Christ ends his earthly ministry with angels. So when we're talking about the incarnation, we're talking about Jesus coming, not the beginning of his existence, but the beginning of his walk as a human. So Jesus takes on the form of a human. He was born a son, but a gift was given to us. A son was given to us. As we look at this story, the angels are the ones who are giving us the message behind the Christmas story. You see, no earthly channels of communication could be relied upon 
to get this amazing message out because no human person could possibly be persuasive enough. And now one interesting point to be made of this is that as we look at the major events in the Bible, there is no other occurrence that has as many messages from so many angelic messengers as the story of the Christmas child coming, Christ coming. So let's take just a moment and talk about what are the primary jobs of the angels? What are they supposed to do? Well, I think there's three primary jobs that angels have, according to God's word. Number one is that angels are given the task of magnifying God. We see this in the birth of Christ, but we also see this in the book of Revelation. And we see that at the end of time, human history, we discover that the angels are gathered. And here's what John the Revelator says about them. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. In other words, they're unable to be counted. There's so many angels in heaven. And it says that they encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Now, I believe that we're in this scene uh, as believers in Christ. This is a future vision that John has given. And then it says in verse number 12, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Now, as I think about magnifying God, you know, there's two kinds of ways in which we magnify things. One is with a microscope, and then the other is with a telescope. One makes things that are small look bigger than it is, and the other makes things that are big and begin to look even bigger than they really are. So when the angels magnify God, they are taking something that is making God look smaller, but look bigger than he is. There's a big God to appear as big as he really is. Now, in the same way, we are not called to be microscopes. We are called to be telescopes. Christians are not called to be con men who magnify their product out of proportion to reality. I mean, that's what salespeople do sometimes, right? They over-embellish their product. You see, when you know the competitor's product is far superior, uh, you want to try to over-embellish your product. There's nothing and nobody superior to God. So I can't overemphasize. I can't over-magnify him. And so the calling of those who love God is to make his greatness to begin to look as great as it really is. That's why we exist. Why were we saved? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I know why God chose angels to announce the birth of Christ. I know why God chose the angels at the end as we're up in heaven to bring glory and praise to him along with us. Because as I look at humans, right, and we all tend to battle with bringing glory to ourselves. But the angels, they learned a long time ago when they saw Lucifer, son of the morning star, what happened to him when he tried to steal glory from God? Well, he was cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels. 
His fate was sealed. But those angels that did not fall, those angels that continued to magnify God, are still magnifying Him today. They understand their job is not to bring glory to themselves. Their job is to magnify God in everything that they do. You know, the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up like this. Feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as He really is. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. Magnify God in everything that you do. You know, this week I've been busy. I've had three funerals to do this week. And as I do a funeral, sometimes I know the person that has passed very well. Other times I barely know him. But I always bring around the job of our lives is to figure out three things. You know, we come into this world and basically we have three primary questions that we strive to answer. Question number one is, how in the world did I get here? Now, as we look at this subject of how did I get here, if you realize that you are created in the image of God, you will give Him glory. You ever wonder why people can believe in evolution? Evolution is a theory, and some would say even creation is a theory. And so let's go with that. Let's say that they are both theories. Why is it that people would choose evolution over creation? i tell you why that is. The reason that we are prone to want to believe in evolution, even though the evidence is far inferior than the theory of intelligent design that we were created by a creator, is because evolution brings glory to us. The survival of the fittest, right? And we don't have to answer to a God if we choose to believe that God did not create us. We will answer to only ourselves. That's why every man will do what is right in his own eyes. But we learn from the Bible that God created us in his image. In the image of God, God created us. And it says that when God created Adam, God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You know what's so special about us, about how God created us? You know, your dog, as much as you love your dog or your cat or whatever animal that you have, As a pet, God gives us these wonderful creations to enjoy. But your dog will never sit down and ponder. I wonder why I'm here. I wonder what is my uh, way of getting here. How did I get here? They don't even think on that level. They don't care about how they got here. All they care about is that they're fed, that they have a warm place to stay, that their needs are taken care of. Really, that's all they care about. Uh, They're not contemplating how I got here. But I want you to know, Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived, he spent a lot of time contemplating why I'm here. He tried a whole bunch of different things. He tried working real hard, wondering if he would find some worth in working, right? And there's nothing wrong with work. God designed us to work, but work is not the end all. We work out of gratitude to God because he gives us the ability to work. Well, Solomon found that, and that kind of left him empty, and so he tries something else. He tries wealth. Maybe if I just amass a great fortune of wealth, uh, maybe that will help me. That would help me be fulfilled. So he tries work, and he tries wealth, and they left him empty. So he tries something else. He tries women. 
Now, Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines, and, and I have no idea how he could keep up with them. I mean, I have a hard enough time just keeping up with one wife, and never mind a thousand, but that's how he lived his life, and, and that left him empty. So he gets so frustrated in his life, he says, let me try something else. Let me try wine. Maybe the chief end of man is just to get drunk, right? And just to live my life anesthetized from the pain of reality. Well, that left him empty. Solomon gets to the end of his life, and he says, this is the chief end of man, to glorify God, to obey his commandments. You know, Micah knew the purpose of life, and he says in Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? Ah, this is what he requires of you, to love justice and to love mercy. And as we look at how we got here, we should magnify the Lord in that he has created us. The angels glorified God and they magnified him, and they were given that wonderful job to wherever they go to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So the number one task of angels is to magnify God. But the number two task of angels is that they are messengers of God. Now I want to look at the New Testament passage in Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to fast forward to the resurrection of Christ. We see angels were messengers there, and the angel says to the women who were gathered there at the tomb, don't be afraid. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he's lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. So the message was given to these women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who gathered there at the tomb on that resurrection Sunday. And the angel was there telling them what happened to Christ telling them to go quickly and tell the disciples that he had risen from the dead. As you think about the message that the angels gave, who will listen to the message of God's understanding and love when the messengers that God are required to be examples? We are called to be an example of the message of God. And the angels gave that original message of his birth They gave that message of his resurrection. But there's another job that is given to angels, and that is angels are called to be ministers to people. We look at the book of Hebrews to find a wonderful example of how angels are not only servants, but they're spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. I love that verse. That's found in Hebrews 1.14. Angels are not only servants, but they are spirits sent to care for God's people. Now, let me mention something before uh, we look at the accounts of angels ministering to people. Have you heard that saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Or in a, an marriage, you might say, the honeymoon is over. And that basically means that the more familiar we become with something, At best, we either get bored with it 
Or at worst, we start resenting it. We take it for granted. Let's try to read these accounts as if we're hearing them from the very first time. In fact, let's put ourselves in their sandals, remembering that 400 years before Jesus came, there was a silent period. And at the end of Malachi, as that book is finished up, and before we get into the book of Matthew, we have 400 years where God does not speak. Can you imagine just how unsettled you would have felt as a Jew? People have been pleading with God to come down into the world with with words very similar to what Isaiah spoke of. And, And Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. That's where we see those who are of Jewish descent. That's where they are, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Well, let me make some observation about the early angels in the Christmas story. Angels appear suddenly to ordinary people doing ordinary things. You know, the angels didn't come with uh, this announcement before Christ was born to a public announcement. Actually, they came bearing an announcement, and they would often break into our world unexpectedly with a, a message of profound portion. So often the angels would appear suddenly to ordinary people. That's what happened to Joseph. That's what happened to Mary ordinary people that God was about to do something extraordinary through. When angels arrive, angels often would cause people to be afraid. That's why they would say, don't be afraid. That's what the angels said to the women that were there at the tombstone. The very first thing they said, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Said it to Mary. Said it to Joseph. "Don't, Don't be afraid. You see, when an angel appears in Scripture, there is a sense of fear. There's a sense of wonder that blasts through that boring and what is predictable, but there's this awe-inspiring element. And it was built into the very worship fabric of ancient Israel. You know, at the Ark of the Covenant, it actually had two cherubim carved into it. Prophets like Isaiah would come face to face with the seraphim. And when he did, he cries out, And we have the record of what he said, Isaiah 6, 33. And they were calling to one another, the seraphim, and they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, whose earth is full of his glory. You see, with the doorpost shaking, And that temple filled with smoke, Isaiah cried out in fear. And he says, woe is me. Knowing that they have this kind of effect on humans, some of their first words are often, do not be afraid. You know, something else we got to mention about angels. And angels are never to be worshipped or never to be adorned. Every reference to angels in the Bible is incidental to some other topic. We need to be careful not to give them too much attention. In Psalm 103, verse 20, it says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, 
you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. So the mighty ones, these angels, are doing God's bidding. Oh, I hope that you'll join me tomorrow as we continue to see the angel's place in bringing about the message of peace. And I want to invite you to come and worship with us at Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you would like to gather with us on Sunday morning, we meet at 9 o'clock and then we meet again at 1045, two identical services. Uh, If you come to the later service, if you have uh, young adults, if you have teenagers, we have a special class for them during our 1045 service. In both of our services, we have a children's ministry we call Elevate. We have nursery, we have preschool, uh, lots of opportunities for your children to connect. I hope that you'll join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. And listen, we're really close to Christmas. And so we're doing a Christmas Eve services. We're doing two, one at 3 o'clock, one at 5 o'clock. 3 o'clock we'll be driving, 5 o'clock we'll be inside. Love to have you come worship with us Christmas Eve or Christmas Day at 10 o'clock. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. Join me tomorrow for part two of How to Have Peace. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.